and welcome to this Outbeat Extra. I'm Greg Moralia. Well, this month, many LGBT students will head off to college and perhaps to a new school. Our first guest has some very helpful advice. Shane Winmeyer is the executive director of Campus Pride, the nation's leading LGBT advocacy organization that works with colleges and universities to make them safer and more accepting places for LGBT students. And then later in the show, we'll introduce you to filmmaker Ron Rogers, who just released a documentary about local singer-songwriter Bobby Joe Valentine. You've heard Bobby Joe's music on our shows uh, for many months now. Ron will be here with Stephen Ashton from the Wine Country Film Festival in Kenwood, and he'll be talking about the film and its upcoming showing at the festival. All of this is coming up right after your Outbeat Radio News for this Sunday, August 31st, 2014. I have found Outbeat Radio News, your source for LGBT news from the North Bay and beyond. In Chicago this week, federal appeals judges bristled Tuesday at arguments defending gay marriage bans in Indiana and Wisconsin, with one Republican appointee comparing them now to defunct laws that once outlawed weddings between blacks and whites. Attorneys general in both states are trying to reinstate bans that were ruled unconstitutional this last June. The outcome of the case could also directly affect hundreds of couples who were married after federal judges overturned the bans, but before their rulings were put on hold pending appeal. Judge Richard Ponzer, who was appointed by President Ronald Reagan, was dismissive when Wisconsin Attorney General Timothy Samuelson repeatedly pointed to tradition as the underlying justification for barring gay marriage. The judge responded with, quote, It was tradition to not allow blacks and whites to marry, a tradition that got swept away, he said. Prohibition of same-sex marriage is a tradition of hate and savage discrimination. He frequently cut off Indiana Solicitor General Thomas Fisher just moments into his presentation and chided him to answer his questions. At one point, Posner ran through a list of psychological strains of unmarried same-sex couples, including having children struggle to grasp why their schoolmates' parents were married and theirs were not. Ponzer said, What horrible stuff! What benefits society to bar gay marriage? In Portland, Oregon this week, a federal appeals court has dismissed the National Organization for Marriage's effort to appeal an Oregon court ruling that allows same-sex marriage. The Ninth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals issued its decision this last Wednesday. Several same-sex couples sued the state of Oregon last year, arguing that the ban on same-sex marriage is unconstitutional. Attorney General Ellen Rosenblum refused to defend it and joined the couples in asking a U.S. District Court Judge Michael McShane to throw it out. The National Organization for Marriage, which opposes same-sex unions, asked to offer a defense on behalf of its members in Oregon, but the judge ruled they lacked standing to intervene in the case. The group appealed, but a three-judge panel dismissed their case in Wednesday's ruling. And here in California, the state assembly approved Assembly Bill 2501, a bill that prevents defendants from escaping murder charges by claiming they panicked when they discovered that someone was gay or transgender. Current law allows murder charges to be reduced to manslaughter if the killing happened in a sudden quarrel or in the heat of passion. Assembly Bill 2501 by Democratic Assemblywoman Susan Bonilla of Concord would bar defendants from using their victim's gender or sexual orientation to support a so-called panic defense. Bonilla says such defenses legalize violence against lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender people. The Bar Association urged governments to curtail the use of panic defenses, and the gay rights group Equality California says California would have the first statewide prohibition. 
The state assembly approved AB 2501 by a vote of 50 to 10. The legislation now heads to the governor for signature. And here locally, Art for Life, a benefit for face-to-face, ending HIV in Sonoma County, will happen on Saturday, September 6th at the Sebastopol Center for the Arts from 2 to 6 p.m. This is the 27th year for Art for Life, and this event has raised more than $2 million for people living with HIV-AIDS. What began in 1988 in response to the AIDS epidemic in the county has grown to a much-anticipated annual event to benefit care services for the more than 600 men, women, and children living in Sonoma County with HIV and AIDS. Everyone is invited to experience this exemplary exhibit of local art, food, and wine. There will be about 200 works available for purchase, including original paintings, photography, pottery, drawings, sculpture, and jewelry. Tickets are $75 a person and available now online at www.f2f.org. There will also be a free public exhibit on Friday, September 5th from noon to 3, where you can check out and select your favorite pieces while planning your bid for Saturday's silent auction. This is one of my favorite events, and I hope that you'll join me there. You can learn more about Face to Face and Art for Life, again, by going to their website at www.f2f.org. For a complete calendar of LGBT events happening this week in the North Bay, go to GaySonoma.com. And if you have news or an event you'd like to share with our listeners, tell us about it by going to our own website at OutBeatNews.com. Be sure to follow us all week long on Facebook and Twitter for the latest LGBT news and information from here in the North Bay and beyond. For Gary Carnavelli, I'm Greg Morelia. Outbeat Radio News, your source for LGBT news from the North Bay and beyond. If you're an LGBT student heading off to college this fall, our first guest has some helpful advice for you. Shane Winmeyer is the executive director of Campus Pride, the nation's leading LGBT advocacy organization for colleges and universities. Shane's been somewhat of a regular here on Outbeat Radio, and I'm thrilled to have him back again with us tonight. Shane, welcome back to Outbeat Radio. It's great to be here, Craig. Well, this has become sort of an annual conversation for us as uh, students return back to school, high school and college, and so it's always great to check in with you. And Campus Pride just published uh, its list of the most LGBT-friendly colleges and universities in the country. Tell us about this list and the criteria used to create it. Uh, Sure. Um, Every year for Back to School, Campus Pride does a uh, a best-of-the-best college campus list. And this year, we actually expanded the list beyond just the top 25 to the top 50 LGBT-friendly campuses, and we decided to do that because more and more campuses are competing and uh, trying to improve their LGBT programs and services, um, and so we've seen more competition, and, and with the more competition, it gets closer and closer amongst the top 25, and so we decided to do a larger list, and so we published our top 50 this year for the first time, and we have a number of different types of campuses. Um, the data that the list is based on is actually through our Campus Pride Index, which is a, an online benchmarking tool that is based in research around LGBT uh, best practices for college campuses. And so Mm -hmm. it looks at about 55 different policies, uh, programs, and practices uh, to be inclusive of LGBT students. And colleges basically self-assess. They self-assess how 
inclusive they are based on this tool and it gives them a star rating but also gives them a percentage score on the backside that we use in this top 50 list uh, to be able to determine which of the campuses are you know are in the top 50 this year and realizing that all the campuses that are participating in the campus pride index are doing good work because they're coming out as LGBT friendly they want to become better you know it's the campuses that are not part of the campus pride index that you know we uh, in many ways um, uh, you know uh, tell people to be concerned about or to, to ask the question of why aren't they part of the list so you know there's there's right now 425 plus campuses that are part of the campus pride index so we encourage everyone to go check all of them out Great. And so are these mostly four-year schools or are there some community colleges there too? Yeah, there's a, there are um, amongst the 425 plus campuses, there are two-year campuses, uh, four-year campuses, public and private institutions, uh, women's colleges, um, some religiously affiliated campuses, uh, historically black colleges and universities, other minority-serving institutions. So there's a real good diversity amongst the campuses that participate in the Campus Pride Index. It's probably not a surprise to you or, or to some of your listeners that the campuses that are in the top 50 uh, tend to be from uh, you know, largely progressive, uh, LGBT-inclusive places such as you know, California, New York, uh, the Northeast, uh, the Northwest, um, you know, we do have a few Southern campuses that are in the top 50, but they tend to be private campuses such as Tulane University or Emory University, which, you know, a private campus in the South is able to create kind of their own rules compared to some of the public campuses uh, in Southern communities or, you know, the two-year campuses. So there definitely is a, um, you know, this, this dichotomy of campuses related to the top 50 you know, being where we've spent most of our energy as a movement is in these, you know, these liberal progressive places. And so, you know, Campus Pride is really trying our best to target rural and southern campuses to try to bring them up to where the top 50 campuses mm -hmm. are. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned that there are several in California. Uh, and if I recall right, UC Berkeley and Stanford were among the top. Uh, that's correct. Um, you know, several of the UC campuses uh, were in the top 50, along with Stanford. Um, USC, uh, University of Southern California, has, has long been uh, in our, our top list. Um, so there, there's some, you know, some wonderful campuses right there in your backyard uh, who, are, who have always been, actually, not just recently, but who have always been kind of leading the way when it comes to LGBT inclusive policy programs and practices. Mm -hmm. So you said earlier that the index, you know, identifies certain benchmarks, uh, measurements, if you will, uh, that are based on research. Give us a sense of a campus like UC Berkeley or USC or Stanford, as you mentioned, what have they done that stands them out from the rest? Well, give us an, an idea of some of the things that they have that maybe the other colleges don't. Sure. So, you know, when it comes to kind of the, the best of the best, um, it, we're really talking about campuses that that are doing as much as they can around trans issues. For instance, you know they have they have uh, uh, health insurance for students and their employees that allows for transition related 
or hormone uh, therapies for uh, students or employees who need them, such as transgender individuals. Um, you know, the campus has a mentor-mentee program to help retain LGBT students during the academic, uh, you know, uh, you know, four years of the individual. So um, it helps with retention efforts of out LGBT students. Um, you know, when it comes to, um, you know, looking at institutional commitment, the campus has a LGBT staff person or, uh, you know, an office, a center that, you know, is responsible for making sure LGBT issues are at the forefront of the campus. Uh, many times these campuses have courses, uh, you know, an academic major or a minor in LGBT studies or in sexual and gender um, studies uh, related to LGBT people. Um, you know, these campuses have gender-inclusive housing uh, for, for trans-identified students uh, to feel safe where they live. Um, you know, those are some of the examples uh, amongst the 55 questions that are a little bit more of a challenge for campuses that are in uh, parts of the country that maybe don't have resources like California does or, or hasn't had the level of awareness when it comes to uh, some of the, the trans issues um, quite yet mm -hmm. and are still learning or are still trying to identify how do we create gender-inclusive housing when my campus doesn't even understand who uh, a trans person is today. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, I think the, the, the California schools that we mentioned, like Stanford, uh, they've been dealing with these issues and have made an institutional commitment uh, that goes beyond just having out students or out faculty and staff. They actually have policies and programs and in health insurance and housing in uh, recruitment and recruiting LGBT students or retaining them once they're in college. Mm -hmm. Great. So as you looked at that list of 50, uh, were there any new colleges on there that, you know, perhaps surprised you or that stood out that made, you know, some real advances this last year? You know, nothing really surprises me these days when it comes to um, LGBT-friendly campuses or, or as I like to look at, LGBT-inclusive campuses. Um, you know, there are campuses all across the country, even in uh, kind of what I call these, these um these brave spaces um, where it's hard to be out and LGBT still today. Um, you know, Emory University in Atlanta, to me, it's not a surprise because Atlanta is kind of this bubble of LGBT progress, but, you know, they are in the South. They're in Georgia. Um, you know, that, that is a surprise to some people. Um, you know, Tulane University being in, you know, Louisiana. But then again, they're within New Orleans and they're a private campus like Emory. Um, you know, some people are surprised by um, Indiana University uh, being uh, in, in the state of Indiana, which is still, you know, a very challenging climate when it comes to LGBT individuals. Um, but I think you can find that. I mean, some people would argue somewhere in the state of California, there are challenging environments to being LGBT. Um, you know, so I think those places are everywhere. Uh, what I'm really pleased about is that campuses today want to be called gay friendly or, you know, uh, LGBT friendly. Uh, the question becomes for those campuses, how do they do it? You know, what path, what journey uh, you know, do they need to go on in order to truly be LGBT friendly? Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I think that's the bigger question. Sure. 
Well, and looking here locally, of course, I have to brag about where I work at Napa Valley College. We participate on the index, and, and frankly, that index helped us look at how we could be uh, more supportive of LGBT students. It led us to uh, expand our policies and make them more inclusive. It, it led to some conversations about making sure we have sets of gender-neutral bathrooms located around the campus. It led us to create a safe space program, an LGBT book section in our library, and, of course, our LGBT studies program. But I also have to say that uh, Santa Rosa Junior College uh, here in Sonoma County is starting to have conversations around this. Um, And, of course, we're going to be doing a Stop the Hate Training for Trainers program with Campus Pride here in California at Santa Rosa JC in Petaluma. So it's great to see even our local two-year colleges are – starting to get involved in really doing something meaningful uh, for LGBT students. Uh, let's shift gears to the Princeton Review's uh, list of, of colleges and, and various aspects about colleges. I think they published a list that talked about the most unfriendly LGBT college. What does that look like for you? What makes a college particularly unfriendly for LGBT students? What I find problematic about the Princeton Review list um, is really the methodology. Uh, Campus Pride, with our list, doesn't pretend uh, that we've asked all the students on campus to identify, uh, you know, which campus is LGBT-friendly. We're merely looking at policy, program, and practice. And so there are limits to our list. But where I really have a problem with the Princeton Review in calling a campus unfriendly or the most friendly is that their methodology their methodology is really, um, you know, skewed in that it's asking all the students on the campus basically one question that deals with LGBT issues. And the question is something to the effect of, you know, do you uh, believe in LGBT equality? And based on that one question, they determine whether a campus is LGBT friendly. Um, They don't ask more than that question. They don't even break down of the students who answered the question who identified as LGBT because they don't ask a demographic question to understand is a student heterosexual or homosexual or bisexual, you know, how they identify. Mm -hmm. So so that that rating is is purely commercial and it's based on one question. Um, You know, from Campus Pride's perspective, Um, we want to highlight the positive campuses, the campuses that are doing great work. And so we focus on the campuses that are the best of the best. And we focus on policy program and practice. The only way we can determine from a student experience standpoint, if a campus is truly LGBT friendly is to ask, I would say maybe 10, you know, questions around LGBT experience and I would ask those of the LGBT students. I wouldn't be asking the straight students like the Princeton Review does, uh, you know, whether or not a campus is gay friendly, because at the end of the day, it's it's the gay students or the trans students who should be determining that. And so, you know, our focus is to focus on the positive. Um, You know, I think the challenge with us is that there are clearly campuses out there that that have policies against gay students or against transgender students. And those campuses, we've actually, you know, the ones that have got the Title IX exemptions recently, uh, George Fox University, you know, they won't allow a transgender student to live in campus housing 
uh, in a way that would be safe for that trans student. Uh, you know, there are other campuses out there who've recently got a Title Title IX exemption who don't want to have LGBT students even on their campus as out students. Uh, you know, there's a you know Bob Jones University has long had a history, Liberty University. So the campuses don't that don't even allow LGBT students to be there are obviously the most you know unfriendly in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Oh, I just heard a story about Brigham Brigham Young University. And it was a story about how in their bookstore, in the Hallmark rack, uh, quote-unquote, mistakenly, some same-sex marriage cards were installed on those racks. And they went to great lengths to explain that the, the bookstore staff isn't responsible for stocking the cards. It's Hallmark that does that. And that they were immediately removed uh, because that college does not condone, support, or acknowledge same-sex relationships. Uh, and, and I thought, what a powerful, negative, horrible message that sends to their LGBT students. Well, it does. Um, and there's even worse examples than the one that you shared. Um, and I find it particularly challenging uh, for any student to go to school where another student or one of their friends doesn't feel safe. And what's happening today, in my opinion, is that you know young people are – you know, they want to go to campuses where they can, you know, feel affirmed, where their friends can feel safe. And, and we live in a society where there are many young people who have gay friends or who have transgender friends. And, you know, these campuses that are, you know, creating these, these religious rules that are really defining, uh, in many regards, you know, religion from a viewpoint of hate and of bias, you know, I, I think they're going to be struggling as they you know, continue down this path of exclusion. Mm-hmm. Well, let's shift gears a little bit. You just got done with the annual Campus Pride LGBT Leadership Camp. Uh, tell us about it. Yeah. So, you know, Camp Pride is uh, in its eighth year. Um, we have had um, a number of successes every year that we have camp. This year, Janet Mock was our featured speaker and received um, a Voice in Action Award uh, from our organization for her dedication to trans youth of color, um, particularly trans women of color. Um, and so uh, that was pretty exciting. Uh, we had Wade Davis, a former NFL football player there. But most importantly, we had over 120 uh, young adults and um, some advisors uh, who work with those young adults, uh, you know, with those young adults uh, at the camp. Uh, and it's a social justice camp. So we're not just talking about you know, queer identity and, and being lesbian, gay, bi, or trans, you know, but we're, we're talking about intersectionality and intersectional justice uh, and how we view our entire whole self, uh, not just our LGBT self. And so it's very empowering. Um, we, you know, next year, I can't believe it will be nine years that we've done this leadership camp and every year it continues to grow. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's exciting. So where did most of these students come from? Uh, were they mostly from the you know the East Coast and, and South? Because you're holding Nashville, right? Yeah, actually, we had some students from UC Santa Cruz uh, who attended. Um, I think three students actually from from Santa Cruz came to camp. So we get students from California. We get students from Washington State. Uh, you know, from Nevada. Uh, you know, so they come from all over. Um, the camp is is currently held in Nashville. Uh, next year, we're thinking about moving it to Charlotte, North Carolina, uh, to our home base. But you know, we're constantly surprised 
at the number of students and the places where these students come. Um, we have scholarships. So some of these young adults, uh, for instance, some uh, we had scholarships for students from Colorado uh, specifically to come to camp. We had uh, some scholarships for students from the Northwest, from Idaho and Montana and Wyoming to come to camp. Um, you know, we we got a grant actually from the David Bonnet Foundation, which is right there in California, uh, to to help us get uh, students from historically black colleges and universities, uh, specifically, uh, to give them funding to come to camp. So we, you know, we had 17 um, uh, historically black HBCU uh, campuses uh, at camp this year, which was really exciting. So a lot of different uh, campuses, uh, a lot of diversity when it comes to our young adults. Uh, we have a number of trans identified young people who, who, you know, come to camp, uh, gender nonconforming, uh, gender queer students. So it's a very safe place and it's one of the best programs. Uh, and I feel very fortunate to be part of it. Fantastic. So where do people go to learn more about the camp specifically? Yeah. So our website is campuspride.org and, uh, the camp, uh, page, um, that has all the details is just campuspride.org slash camp pride. Great. Um, and you can find it right there on the homepage, along with, you know, tons of other resources, as you know, Stop the Hate, um, our fraternity and sorority out in Greek, uh, Lambda 10 program, uh, you know, our speakers bureau, which we have a number of speakers listed there. Um, you know, we, we actually just added a campus pride map where you can find uh, student groups across the country that are LGBT at different campuses, um, as well as a scholarship database. If you're looking for scholarships to go to college. Awesome. Well, if you missed that website, we'll have it on our own website at outbeatnews.com. Uh, so that you can go and check that out. Talk about the type of student then, or participant, I should say, that's going to come to a camp. Could it be a high school student or do they need to be over 18? Yeah, they do have to be 18 or above. Uh, they can be a high school student and be 18, right? So, right. Um, we just, we want to have, um, you know, sadly because of laws and so forth, we have to be, uh, careful with anyone under 18. So we just decided to be 18 and above. Um, they could be a freshman or a freshman entering college. Um, you know, we have a variety of people who are even older than the traditional college age, uh, who come to camp as well. So as long as they're 18 and above and realize that this is a collegiate, uh, you know, campus based camp. Um, you know, that's what's most important. Mm -hmm. And how much does something like that cost? It, it's a week long program, right? Yeah, it's a week long and it covers all the food. So you have three meals a day. Um, you know, we have snacks and ice cream and pizza in the nighttime and, uh, we have housing. So it includes your housing and your, your bedding and, and things like that. So it's right about $900 roughly. Um, we do have an early bird rate that will go online uh, starting in uh, October uh, where you can actually get it for as low as $750. You know, so the best time to actually purchase um, your camp registration is between October 1st and December 15th uh, because you can get the lowest rate, uh, you know, at that about $750 roughly. And then it just keeps going up as you get closer to camp. So, um, you know, the, the, the best advice is to register early um, and, you know, get your spot at camp before, you know, hopefully uh, before it sells out. Fantastic. Uh, well, this month is obviously a back-to-school month for an awful lot of students, which is primarily why we always like to get together with you at this time. 
Uh, so give us some advice for those LGBT students who are freshmen in college. Maybe they're going away to college, leaving home for the first time. They arrive on campus. What are their first steps? Aside from the normal kinds of getting settled in as an LGBT student, you know, what do you recommend as their first steps? You know, I think, um, you know, find your find your own passion, what you care about. Um, obviously, your first priority should always be your classes and academics and and making sure that, you know, whoever's paying for you to go to college, if it's yourself or if it's your your parents or, or other, uh, you know, scholarships or other members of your family, uh, you know, you're there to get an education. So make sure that's your first priority. Um, you know, then find, you know, things that you care about, what you're passionate about. Is that volunteering? Is that being on the programming board? If that's, you know, being part of some intramural recreational club or sport, um, and start putting out, you know, uh, you know, your, your own, um, you know, time and effort to these organizations and, and get involved, um, stay engaged with your campus and, and, you know, try to find ways that you can be visible, um, as you feel comfortable with being out. And, you know, there's, there's tons of ways to stay involved with campus pride. Uh, you know, if you would like to get involved with us nationally, uh, or if you can just help you, if there's some way that we can help you in that, that first year on campus. Um, I think from what I, tell many students um, every year, you know, this is an exciting time uh, to, to, to grow and to learn. Take advantage of, um, you know, the opportunities around you to meet people. Um, you know, it's always important to have friends. And so, you know, take some time to meet some new folks. If you have people there that you know, um, you know, create a support network so um, you have people you can rely on. And, and don't be afraid of, of meeting new people because that's what college is all about. Mm-hmm. Do you think college is a good time if, if you're not out or you haven't been able to come out at home? Do you think college is a good time to do it if, if that's what you want? Well, definitely. Um, you know, you always want to consider your, your own safety and what you feel comfortable with um, and make sure that um, the people you tell uh, can respect the fact that maybe you're not out uh, at home uh, and consider you know, what that might mean if, if somebody should accidentally say something, if your, you know, your family or your parent uh, should be visiting. Um, so you, you always want to keep those things in mind, but at the same time, you know, I think college is a great place to come out, um, especially if you found uh, your campus to be safe and welcoming. Mm-hmm. So talk about the dorm situation a little bit. I know that the housing arrangement can always be challenging. Hopefully colleges have sort of looked at this so if you're not out should is that a responsibility you have to tell your dorm mate or what's the best way of approaching that situation yeah so um you know i think it varies um i i i think it depends on how you feel the trust level you feel with your roommate um and how you know he or she um you know responds to kind of LGBT topics. I, I think it's important to uh, not assume that someone's going to be uh, anti-LGBT, but also not assume that they're going to be okay with it either. Um, you know, the good news is if you should have some negative uh, interactions with your roommate, if they find out that you're gay or if you tell them, uh, you know, your RA, um, you know, your housing folks, uh, you know, we'll find you a, a new roommate or another place uh, to stay, but, you know, you shouldn't have to deal with that. Um, you know, I really try to get students to identify early on, 
their housing situation and make sure it's someone that they're going to feel comfortable with in their housing or to talk to the campus about LGBT, uh, you know, living learning communities or a place where you know that you're going to, to feel safe and welcome. Um, it really depends on each individual student as to, you know, what experience they want. Um, and, you know, if the college has, you know, options for roommate matching for an LGBT friendly roommate or, you know, has, you know, has living learning communities. Mm -hmm. Well, it seems like colleges are making a lot of headway around sexual orientation as a variation with students. But, but for trans students, I think we still have a lot more work to go. From your experience, talk about some of the real challenges that are out there in many colleges for transgender students that are perhaps unique to that community. You know, I've, I've said repeatedly um, that, you know, I think we're living in the 1950s, 1960s when it comes to trans uh, students and trans issues. You know, the campuses, as we mentioned earlier in the program around Campus Pride's top 50 list or the Campus Pride Index, you know, those campuses by and large have gender identity and expression as part of their non-discrimination statement. Um, you know, some of them have gender-inclusive housing. Uh, you know, others have uh, health insurance that's inclusive of, of trans students. But um, by and large, you know, we're talking about maybe 13, 14 percent of colleges have a non-discrimination statement inclusive of sexual uh, of gender identity. About 20 percent have it inclusive of sexual orientation. So not every campus is going to be where it needs to be on trans issues especially given the numbers and the fact that we still have a long way to go. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned earlier Title IX. We know that the feds, you know, have interpreted Title IX to include transgender students, but, but there's a way for a college or a college to apply for an exemption, right? Correct. That's unfortunate. It just does not seem right. It's almost back in the days of the idea of, of desegregating schools, but allowing schools to apply for an exemption it, it is segregate. Uh, it, it you know it is um, extremely frustrating, um, and it really um, is a um, a challenge to just basic safety of students um, feeling safe and being safe within housing uh, on a campus in general. Um, you know there has always been a way to get an exemption from Title IX, but uh, you know the case of George Fox's. University is a perfect example of uh, George Fox actually had an exemption around um, uh, Title IX and um, it was dealing with uh, women who were pregnant with a child and uh, were divorced or um, weren't married uh, with their child and they had an exemption to be able to, because of their religious beliefs, not allow that student or uh, admittance into the campus. Um, and so they no longer practice that belief system, even though I guess it was part of their belief system and then it went away. Um, but it's a real challenge when we talk about religion and faith and we're able to discriminate in the name of that religion or faith uh, when it comes to people and their lives. And those are the campuses that I think are the dinosaurs of you know higher education that at some point they will be extinct. Hmm. Well, let's hope so. Let's hope it happens tomorrow. For the high school student who's searching for an LGBT-friendly college, how do they begin their search? 
Well, actually, Campus Pride has um, uh, a, a page dedicated to prospective students around, you know, what to ask about on your campus visit to a personal inventory quiz to kind of figure out what you're looking for in a college campus um, to a, a checklist um, that you can fill out related to, you know, do you want to have a student group? Uh, do you want to have LGBT courses? You know, so we have some some interactive uh, kind of questionnaires uh, on our website under the prospective students um, for 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 that purpose. We also have college fairs. So we're we're holding a college fair in LA in Los Angeles uh, later this October, um, and you know we have a fair in a couple weeks in Roanoke, Virginia. Uh, we have a college fair in Boston. Uh, we have one in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, we have one in Washington State up in Vancouver. Um, so we, we host these in-person college fairs. And one of the exciting things this year is we partnered with GLSEN, uh, the Gay, Lesbian, Straight Education Network. And uh, we are hosting the first ever online virtual college fair. So um, it will happen all day on March the 19th. And um, colleges will be online and there will be a series of Google Hangouts and interactions where young people can learn about college, learn about scholarships and financial aid, uh, talk about testing services, whatever they need to be successful and to, to kind of make that transition from high school into college. Very cool. And these college fairs that you're talking about are specifically for LGBT students. These are colleges that are coming forward saying, we want to recruit you. Exactly. Just like Harvey Milk used to say, we're here to recruit you. That's what these colleges are there to do. Great. And you mentioned the one in Los Angeles. That's probably the closest one for our listeners, at least on the West Coast. Do you have the dates for that? Yeah, um, I do. But really, the closest one would be the one right in front of your computer, right, Uh, for the March 19th virtual college fair. Um, You don't have to go anywhere for that. Um, so I encourage um, students, and there's, it doesn't cost anything, so you can just log on on March 19th for the, the virtual college fair um, you know, through Campus Pride. And then the one in L.A. is coming up here in October, and the date is October 11th. So it's on National Coming Out Day. Um, that's Saturday, and it's actually held um, on the campus of University of South Carol- uh, Southern California, uh, so USC, and uh, it's from 11.30 a.m. to 1.30 p.m. And if you want to find out our, our full listing of college fairs, you just go to campuspride.org slash college fair. So that's campuspride.org slash college fair, and you're able to see the listing. You're able to RSVP for you and your family, whoever wants to come to the fair. Great. And again, if you missed that website, we'll have it on our own website at outbeatnews.com. We've been talking with Shane Winmar, who's the executive director of Campus Pride. Thanks again for updating us on what's going on with colleges and universities. Um, it's it's getting better and better every year, isn't it? <laughs> it sure is, and it's a great time. I mean, back to campus is full of excitement. There's so many, uh, you know, young, out, uh, lesbian, gay, bi, trans, queer, and questioning students out there. You know, and, and our role with Campus Pride is just to make it a safer place and, and to help students get the education that they need. Excellent. Keep up the good work, Shane, and thanks again for spending your Sunday night with us. All right, Greg. Take care. We'll be back with more right after this. Here's local singer-songwriter Bobby Joe Valentine with his original song, Home. We drop like falling stars 
bare feet and cable cars And we don't know who we are But we're not trying to find out We stare about the song Look at the things we've done And my heart is on the run And it's not gonna stop now Oh, but Sometimes I wanna go home 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 Yeah mess we're in and I know somebody's gotta win but I'm not trying to win now oh but sometimes I want to go home 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 Scars Scared that we've come this far And we don't know who we are We're afraid to find out Oh, but Sometimes I want to go home Sometimes I want to go home Sometimes I want to go home Sometimes I wanna go If you're just joining us, you're listening to Outbeat Extra on KRCB Windsor, Santa Rosa. I'm Greg Moralia, and that was local singer-songwriter Bobby Joe Valentine with his original song, Home. Well, last week I had a chance to attend a premiere of a documentary about Bobby Joe Valentine created by filmmaker Ron Rogers, and he is here with us tonight to talk about the film, and he's also with uh, Stephen Ashton from the Wine Country Film Festival, and he's here to talk about the festival and the showing of this new documentary at the film festival. Welcome to you both. Thank, Thank you. you very much for having us. Yeah. Great to be great to have you here. Uh, Ron, let's start with you. What drew you to Bobby Joe Valentine uh, and what what prompted or inspired you to create a documentary about him? Well, I heard Bobby Joe Valentine at uh, the Mystic Theater in Petaluma and one song that he sang was so powerful and meant so much to me that it just struck home on a very deep level. And I found that that happens to a lot of people. 
And I liked the song so much that I wanted to use that song for another project. And so I bought the song from Bobby and used it. I then learned that Bobby was a very interesting uh, guy, and so I interviewed him for another project. And then I realized that there really was a lot to Bobby. And so I decided and asked him if I could follow him around, and and he told me that he had a five-day, eight-concert tour all over California coming up. And I thought, well, that might be fun. You know, he's such a high-energy guy. I I could lose a few pounds. I'll try to keep up with him for a while. And so the focus was let's just show this, show this you know great energetic guy. And then the more I spent time with him, the more I realized that he's had a very interesting and powerful uh, background. And so the 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 film uh, evolved into not just the story of this uh, tour, but the story of a very um, unique and uh, and powerful uh, mm-hmm. individual. And it just evolved into that. Mm-hmm. And you created a documentary short, and the regulation is what's the maximum length of a documentary short in film festival? I believe that a documentary short is 40 minutes or less, okay. and this this is less than 40 minutes. That had to be really tough. I, I, I mean, I can't imagine trying to tell the story of somebody's life in a full-length feature film uh, that would span a couple of hours. How are you able to pare this down into 20 minutes or so? Well, I do have a ton of footage, but I did not attempt to show his entire life. But I did attempt to show that there were some pretty amazing things that did happen to him and and, and some important things happened during the filming. Uh, for example, he was adopted at, at three days old. He was raised by some very fundamental uh, independent Baptist um, great parents uh, uh, and then when he came out as gay, it caused trouble with the, the family and with the church, and he was able to um, to maintain his identity as he discovered it. Uh, he also, uh, during the filming, uh, found his birth mother that he had not seen since he was three days old, and we were able to film uh, the very first phone conversation he had with her, and we were able to film his very first meeting with her since he was three days old. Um, And we also looked at uh, his exploration of whether or not uh, he could connect with audiences on such a deep level that he could start a new life as a professional singer-songwriter. And that was the basic question uh, that he was trying to figure out during this tour. And uh, I, I don't want to do a spoiler, but it was real interesting to see the reaction of all different types of audiences to Bobby's songwriting. He writes the songs and he performs them, and it's pretty amazing to see what happens. Mm -hmm. So at the end of the documentary, as audiences walk away, you know, what are some of the what are some of the key points of his story that you hope that they leave with? Well, the reaction I get uh, is pretty much that this is a very unique individual. He his message is is basically hope. Uh, He's got a hopeful message. He's got a, a uh, an ability to write songs that people people come up to him and say, it sounds like you wrote this song not only for me, but for something I'm going through right now. Mm-hmm. And so the message we're getting is that uh, it's real interesting and we can learn from a young man, he's only 28 years old, who has been willing and able to be his own person no matter what the consequences and take his message out and make a lot of people happy. It's a, it's an interesting story. It, it most certainly is. What was it like for you 
in such an intimate moment to be there with cameras as he met his birth mom. I remember recalling the footage in the film and thinking about that. Uh, that's such a personal moment. It had to have been monumental for him. What was it like for you to be there? It was chilling because it was reality as it was happening. My hairs were standing up on end, the hairs on my arms. It was just chilling. Um, And it was amazing to me that not only was Bobby willing to open up his entire life to the camera, but his birth mother was open to an amazing conversation that they had the very first time on the phone where she talked about why she gave Bobby up and, and all kinds of stuff. She was open. Bobby's adoptive parents were totally open. I interviewed them several times, and they were totally open. And so um, the only way that this emotion and this reality could come out if, was if people were willing to open themselves up, and they all were, not just Bobby, but all the other people. And it was, it was lucky for me. The film couldn't have happened if it wasn't for that. Yeah. Well, and I recall uh, when he was on our show several years ago sharing his coming out story at the time, he was still pretty estranged from his adoptive parents uh, because of some real differences in, in religious philosophy. And you said that they were very open about that with you? Well, um, I believe what Bobby says and what I found is that they have met him part way and he has met them part way. Mm-hmm. They don't totally understand uh, his journey. Uh, but they still love him, and it's obvious that they do, and he gets together with them on a regular basis. And they don't agree on everything, but they do have a good relationship, and he speaks very highly of them. Um, and uh, so I think maybe things are a little different from, from back then in the sense that uh, – uh, they love each other and they, they regularly spend time with each other, mm-hmm. even though they don't agree on everything, and that's mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, what, a great, what a great example you know, of a family kind of working through that, because it's, that piece, at, at least, is not entirely unique, uh, where religion plays such a big part in it, and it, and it can really pull families apart, sometimes indefinitely. Uh, and so hopefully people will see this, and maybe it will inspire them to have conversations with their their kids and 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 reconcile what are your hopes for the documentary you know you, you had a good showing at santa rosa junior college and, and i understand you got really good feedback where do you want to take it well that was a, a test screening for the funders to sort of get uh we passed out audience reaction cards and we got some very we got a lot of tens and we got a lot of good feedback um from that which was useful but basically i would like to uh Uh, send this movie out so that as many people uh, as possible can see it because I think Bobby's a very compelling person. I think his message is is compelling and Mm -hmm. I think it's an interesting story and I, you know, I think documentaries are great because, you know, they start out as one thing and they end up being something else. But, uh, you know, the late, great Roger Ebert said that um, movies are a machine for creating empathy. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think that movies like this do create empathy, and they do allow people to see people in situations that they otherwise wouldn't, and they can learn from it. Right, right. Well, and of course, people have an opportunity to go and see the film coming up at the Wine Country Film Festival. Uh, So, Stephen, you've been running this film festival for how long now? This is the 28th year, yeah. Wow, fantastic. Mm -hmm. So tell us a little bit about it and, and talk about what drew you to include this particular film. 
Well, the festival actually uh, was founded, as they say, 28 years ago. And so we've had, from the very, very beginning, a notion that uh, cinema actually has an opportunity for not only to be an expression as art, but also to help uh, transform the, both the filmmaker and the audience. And so we have uh, an expression where we say that uh, film can bring forth new creative possibilities in each of us. And uh, that's kind of in a nutshell the skew that we have for all of the films that we try to find. And um, in this particular case, uh, that, you know, Bobby Joe film is just right up our alley. It's a perfect example of the kind of film that we do look for, which is uh, honest. Uh, it's a compelling, telling the story of an individual, sharing a process that uh, we can all gather something for ourselves from. And uh, so, also, you know, to be honest with you, this has got a, a whole kind of almost a three-act structure. You know, I mean, it's a real story. It's 20 minutes long, but you have, you know, a process and a, and, and a trans a character that really goes through transformation in the, in the process. Right. And so it really has all the dramatic impact of something that we look for. So it's a perfect kind of a movie, I think. Yeah, 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 and uh, and all of the sh the venues for the film festival are based in and around Kenwood, right? Yeah, yeah, we've we've kind of focused in on the heart of the valley, we call it. Okay, and uh, so we're at uh, Deerfield Ranch Winery, which has a beautiful Grand Room Theater, which is where the uh, the Bobby Joe film is going to be playing, and closing night of the festival actually on uh, September twenty second, and that's part of the wonderful closing night program that we have that includes a tribute to Johnny Winter and a new movie, a brand new movie, Johnny Winter Down and Dirty, a feature-length documentary that's going to be shown outdoors in the vineyard. Oh, wow. So at Deerfield, we've got a big outdoor screen with a brand new digital projection system as well as 35. And so those two venues are really the kind of special places. And we also have a theater in the new uh, place called the Kenwood. It's the Kenwood Restaurant. And we have Kenwood Restaurant uh, Theater Space, it's called. Fantastic. And a couple of other little venues from time to time throughout the period. It starts on the 17th of September, goes to the 22nd. And give us a rundown. You've got several LGBT-themed films that are going to be showing during the festival. Uh, give us a quick hit list of what those films are. Yeah, we do. Um, we have um, a terrific film uh, from Sundance. That is also one of the closing night uh, films. It's called Drunk Town's Finest. And it's uh, directed by uh, Sidney Freeland, who's a uh, Native American. And she grows up in this reservation. And so she's written a film that was uh, so compelling that Robert Redford became the executive producer of the film after it went through its Sundance Labs. And so it's a dramatic film. Uh, it has uh, a, a terrific cast. And the one that is starring in the film is actually uh, uh, transsexual. Fantastic. As she is. Yeah. And so it's, a, it's about three different unusual individuals mm -hmm. in the reservation whose stories all kind of come together as they would in Amoros Peros. All right. Yeah. We've just got a little bit of time left. Okay. Tell us where people can go to get a full list uh, and see the whole docket for the festival. Well, they can go to uh, 
WCFF.us, which is our website. Uh, you can also dial in uh, WineCountryFilmFest.com, but WCFF.us is uh, the, is the best place, and they can get tickets there, or they can call us for tickets. Fantastic! And if yeah. you missed that website, we'll have it on our own website later tonight at OutbeatNews.com. Uh, Ron, tell us where we can go to learn more about your documentary. Well, luckily, um, the festival has put our trailer on their website, so I believe that the WCFF.us would be the place to go because uh, if you look up the name of the uh, of the film, Bobby Joe, Journey of a Singer-Songwriter, our trailer is right there, and so you can get a good idea of what the film is all about as well as a synopsis. And by the way, I might mention that on the 22nd, we'll not only be showing the film, but there will be a question-answer period with Bobby Joe, and Bobby Joe will actually be performing that night as well. Awesome. Great. And, and we'll be back with more right after this. There are more than 2,000 people living with HIV and AIDS in Sonoma County. 500 of them don't know they have it, so neither do their partners. If you've ever suspected you've been exposed to HIV and want to know whether you're carrying the virus that could lead to AIDS, there's a place you can be tested for free, confidentially, and anonymously with results in just 20 minutes. Call face-to-face at 544-1581 or visit f2f.org. We want you to know your status. And that brings us to the end of our hour. My thanks to our guest tonight, Shane Winmeyer from Campus Pride and Ron Rogers and Stephen Ashton. I'll be back on the fourth Sunday of September with the next edition of Outbeat News in Depth. Remember, you can follow Outbeat News all month long on Facebook and Twitter and get daily LGBT news headlines from our website at OutbeatNews.com. Tune in next Sunday night for Outbeat Radio's Living Proof with Sheridan Gold and Dr. Diana Grayer. That's at 8 p.m. and only here on KRCB Radio, the new 91. In the meantime, have a great week, and thanks for spending your Sunday night with us. Support for Outbeat Radio on KRCBFM comes from members and from the North Bay Bohemian, published every Wednesday celebrating the community, the arts, and the music scene in the North Bay. You'll find them online at bohemian.com. And from General Organics, sustainably produced plant foods and supplements for modern cultivation. General Organics fertilizers are veganic, vegan and organic, produced from botanical extracts and natural minerals for plant nutrition at the molecular level. You'll find them on the web at genhydro.com. You're listening to KRCB-FM Windsor, Santa Rosa, the new 91, with news, new music, and more. This is KRCB. It's just before 9 p.m. Stay with us. Climate One is next.